Hello and welcome to The Debrief. I'm Angus Scott. Just when you thought football was getting predictable, along came Xabi Alonso. The smart-thinking midfielder has transitioned as smoothly into the role of manager as he used to glide around the grass of Anfield or the Bernabeu. He turned down various opportunities and ended up in the Midwest of Germany. Why go to Leverkusen, dubbed Neverkusen, when there were potentially better opportunities? Well, fast forward 22 months and his via Leverkusen side are eight points clear of perennial champions Bayern, having beaten the champions 3-0 at the beginning of the month. It is certainly the best story of the season so far. But where next for the Spaniard? Liverpool or Bayern? Or does he stay at Leverkusen? We will discuss that in today's debrief. Pleased to be joined by Ben Jacobs, who's hot-footing it from a powerhouse of a seminar <laughs> in Qatar. Good afternoon. Yes, I'm here at Web Summits, as I think you can see, given my background. Looking forward to talking about Leverkusen, the second best football story of the season behind Leicester City's procession to the championship <laughs> title. Ah, but you're still in the cup, Ben, and that might scupper things. You never know. I'm also pleased to say that Kevin Hanshard, a European football expert, Works for the Bundesliga as a commentator and is talk sports German football expert is also with us. Kevin, great to have you on the debrief. Uh, great to be with you guys and talking about what's been a really exciting story, actually, this season. You know, we've been waiting for Bayern to have serious challenges. They had one last season, didn't quite work out for Dortmund. So it's been great to see them challenged again. Well, tell us about the fairy tale this year, because as you say, it went down to the, the last minutes um, with Dortmund fluffing their lines last year. Leverkusen and Xabi Alonso are far more in charge, as I said, eight points clear at the top and looking very good uh, for the Bundesliga title. It's come out of nowhere, I have to say. I don't think anybody in German media, in wider media, thought that this was going to happen. I think there was a feeling, if you look at what Leverkusen did last season, Alonso arrived in the October of that campaign. And at that stage, it looked as though they were, you know, in the midst of a relegation fight. Gerardo Zewane had been dismissed. It had been a big surprise that they declined so quickly under him. And when Xabi Alonso came in, it was all about keeping them in the division. He was able to do better than that. They were able to finish in the top six. And then also go quite deep in the Europa League. They got to the semi-finals of that competition. They got Mourinho'd. They were <laughs> kept uh -huh. at arm's length by a, a very determined Roma team who played some pretty awful football over the two legs, but did enough to make it through to the final. And I think this was all about qualifying for the Champions League this season. It was all about making that next step, maybe improving the consistency, but I don't think anybody expected... A, a title push, and B, one that's been so full of consistency. I mean, they still, as we speak now, have not lost a single game in any competition. They've broken the record that was held by Bayern for most unbeaten games in uh, competitive football for a German team at any level. And it, it really is quite remarkable what he's been able to do. Actually, I have done him, him a disservice because my math is not very good. You're right. October 22, he arrived. So we're only talking at 16 months. We're not talking 22 months at all. So it is even more remarkable what he's managed to achieve in such a short space of time. What has he done 
to do it, to turn around this club and, and give it belief and, and start dispelling that tag of Neverkusen. Yeah, so I think the, the most interesting thing for me is that the temptation is to think that it's been an upward curve all the way. Actually, what happened was you took over and they had a real bounce when he first took over. And then there was a spell where they suffered a few defeats and there was a bit of doubt. There were quite a few people saying, well, you know, is he a bit of a flash in the pan? Is this really working? He was still trying to work out exactly how he wanted his team to play. And this season, I think the key is the synergy between Chevy Alonso and Zimon Rolfus, the, the sporting director who's done a super job. Because if you look at the guys they brought in in the summer, they've been transformational. Granite Xhaka has really strengthened that midfield, brought all of his experience to the party. So he came in. Alex Grimaldo has been sensational on that left-hand side. Goals, assists, you name it. Perfect for the way Alonso wants to play. Has that ability, that very modern ability of being able to invert and make the extra man in midfield. Jonas Hofmann was a really sensible pickup from Bayer. Borussia Mönchengladbach. He came in for a very low transfer fee. I think really caught Gladbach by surprise. He wasn't a player they wanted to lose. But he's a guy with real experience. He's been a bit of a late developer in his career. But he's provided goals and assists. And Victor Boniface, even though he's injured now and they're hoping he'll come back in time for April, I mean, he was unbelievable in attack in the opening months of the season, not just for his goals, but for his all-action approach. You know, lots of goal attempts all the time, a nightmare for defenders to deal with. So, Xabi Alonso has talked about this specifically. He said those guys were all strategic thinkers. They were all guys who think very deeply about the game. And they've just lifted that squad. There's been competition for places, but also I think a feeling that this is a very intelligent group and a really lovely mix of youth and experience. And it's proven to be a very powerful combination. Yeah, Ben, don't talk to me about where Alonso might go because I, I know we're, we're talking to Fab in just a moment and he's got some news on the Liverpool end. And I think you're going to be able to add to that very shortly. But... Do give me the Liverpool perspective of how much they admired Alonso when he was a player there and thought of him as a future manager. Well, I think there's two aspects. One is Alonso, the player, understands the Liverpool culture. And two is, has Alonso, the manager, done enough to be a front runner for the Liverpool job? And I think when you look at the criteria that Liverpool are looking for, and of course, Bayern and maybe Real Madrid in a year's time as well, he ticks a lot of boxes. Because what Liverpool want in a manager is somebody that can work in a system to have a close relationship with the sporting director and the recruitment team. That's a tick for Alonso, is conscious of data. And that's a big part of Liverpool's model. And in addition to that, has the man management style and also the culture and the philosophy that would bed well into a Premier League club like Liverpool, who are all about transitions. So when they pick their new manager, they're not doing what some other clubs do and just looking for the best out there as a football manager. They're looking for a football fit, a personality fit, and a strategic fit. And Alonso ticks those boxes. Perhaps Ruben Amarim does, maybe Roberto De Zerbi does as well. He won't be the only candidate for Liverpool. But this is where the links come from. It's not just about the fact he's unbeaten at Leverkusen this season. It's the fact that as a player for Liverpool, now as a manager for Leverkusen, there's a lot of synergy between Alonso's philosophy 
and what Liverpool are looking for. And again, to stress, that isn't only something that should be looked at in football terms. Julian Nagelsmann, who I'm sure that Kevin will have some opinions on, is another alleged candidate. But I'm told that he's not a front runner for Liverpool. Why? Top football coach, but not the right personality or strategic fit. And this is why Alonso might get the Liverpool job and may transition to Bayern and may go to Real Madrid. But it's also why Leverkusen will fight very hard to keep hold of him because they're aware that they've got somebody, in my opinion anyway, I don't know whether you agree, Kevin, that's more than just a football manager. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I think he is certainly somebody who speaks very well, gets the most out of players. I think he's shown already he's a very clever politician in the way that he shut down the speculation. You know, it hasn't been about him. It's been about what's best for Bayer. It's been about the group rather than just him. You know, he doesn't strike you as somebody who has um, an ego that's wildly out of control. Look, all players, all coaches have a healthy dose of ego. You couldn't do the job if you didn't. But he's very much got his under control. And I think... He has been a real statesman this season. I think as well what he's been able to do is he's been able to keep the tension under control. I thought the way they commentated on the game against Bayern Munich recently, I nearly said Bayern München then because that's what Bayern asked us to do. <laughs> so the old training kicked in there. Um, that was one of the most remarkable games I've seen in a long time in the sense that he made some really big calls in terms of his selection. He left out Jeremy Frimpong, who'd been a hugely important player for them down that right-hand side. He left out Jonas Hofmann, played Josip Stanisic, who hasn't been a regular starter this season, on loan from Bayern, and it worked perfectly. Uh, Stanisic scored, uh, which was a bit awkward for him, seeing as he's on loan from Bayern. But they, the players he did bring in he wanted to play Amin Adley. He wanted to play Nathan Teller in that front three. Why did he want to do that? Well, it wasn't just about the attacking speed they have. It was about their ability without the ball. It was about their pressing. And Bayern just couldn't deal with it. They were smothered, couldn't find a way through. They looked really ragged. Their gambles tactically and in terms of personnel didn't work. Played a back three, which was a mad thing to do in such a big game, considering they hadn't really done that. And it really, I think, I know we shouldn't judge things on one game, but I think what it did do is it showed how bold Xabi Alonso can be in those big one-off games that ultimately decide whether you're going to win things or not. And I think any club looking at him would have already had a very wide picture of him, a very positive picture of him. But that, under the most enormous pressure, that level of coaching performance really was something quite stark. That's really interesting you say that because we know other managers who've done that on big occasions. I think of Pep in his early finals and do something a little bit mad and everyone's gone, what on earth are you doing? And it's backfired. But what, what Xabi Alonso has done there has clearly paid off. And one thing that's interesting that you say, Kevin, then for those people who haven't watched much of Bayer Leverkusen, you, we must talk about the pressing that they use and did use against Bayern, uh, Bayern in, that, um, in that match that they so... Um, completely over over um, uh, awed them, really. Uh, just tell me a little bit about the style that you've been able to watch this season. Yeah, they're a really interesting outfit, actually, because I, I think people sometimes think about, you know, when you look at Liverpool, for exa example, under Jurgen Klopp and how 
intense they are in their press, how aggressive they are. They'll just swarm people all the time. It's not quite like that, but it's a very measured press, which has clearly been coached incredibly well. You know, people will tell you pressing's based on triggers. You know, when do we go? And and you have to go as a unit as well. They do that really well. They did it against Bayern Munich. They, they cut off all the passing lanes. They use speedy players who could make up the ground really quickly. And the other thing that I think is really interesting with, with them out of possession is they've almost conceded no goals on the counter-attack. It's such a, a small number of goals on the counter-attack. And what they're really clever at doing is snapping back into shape when they lose the ball. So it's a really good mix of the kind of standard pressing as you would know it in terms of when to engage as a team tries to move up the pitch. But also when they lose it, they're really good in those transitional moments at getting back into position. In terms of the attacking play, they're so good to watch because it's not it's not furious football. They're not at you all the time. But what they do is they have a lot of short passes that lull you into a false sense of security. And you think, OK, well, these guys are in front of us. This is fine. And then they'll hit you with pace, with Frimpong down the left. They'll hit you with quality with Alex Romaldo down the left. They've got players who can drive from midfield. And then you've got Florian Wirtz, who's one of the best number 10s in European football, I think, in between the lines doing all kinds of damage. So they can hurt you in lots of different ways. And I always feel that is the the hallmark of a good team, that they're not just reliant on one or two ways of scoring goals. It's a slightly ridiculous point and question, Kevin, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I think we need to cover it. Leverkusen, they're an entity. They're playing brilliant. They're unbeaten. So regardless of what Bayern do, they're unbeaten. And as a consequence, it would always be a fairy tale story. But how much do you think Leverkusen have been galvanised by and how relevant is it that Bayern are having such a disaster of a season? Well, so the the narrative, quite rightly, is that Bayern have massively underperformed. And I think they have. I think they've got problems in terms of the tactical structure. I'm actually a big fan of Thomas Tuchel, but I think he's made mistakes this season. They've never felt really like a team that's fully at peace with itself. Having said that, they actually went into that game with Leverkusen, two points behind them. It was the first time ever that we'd had two teams over 50 points at this stage of a season. So, look, it would be wrong to suggest that this is a vintage Bayern. However, what Leverkusen have done in any season, even against Pep Guardiola's Bayern, these are the kind of numbers Guardiola's Bayern were putting up. You know, that it's the, the third best points tally in history in the Bundesliga at this stage of a campaign. The only two teams to do better were Bayern in two different seasons under Guardiola. So that's the kind of level we're talking about. So you're absolutely right. There's an element of Bayern not being at their best. However, in terms of points, in terms of goals, you know, they're right up there, Bayern. It's just that Leverkusen have been absolutely outstanding. And the other thing as well is that they're through to the semifinals of the day of Pokal. They are massive favourites to win that now. They haven't won that since the 90s. Eight points clear in the league, as we've discussed. They've never won the Bundesliga before. And into the last 16 of the Europa League, up against a Karabakh team that they've beaten home and away already in the group stage. So it's not just the league. This has been an utterly remarkable campaign 
in every competition they've been in. And this is so far above what was expected. This is a team that would expect... If I was thinking about the Premier League, for example, people have asked me, what would you equate it with? And people have mentioned Leicester. You'll be delighted mm. by that, Ben, to get a mention of Leicester in there. <laughs> Again. I, I don't think it's quite like that, personally. I actually think it's if if Ange Postacoglu had, had, had an absolute like flyer at Tottenham and maintained that, and they'd won the league, I feel like it's like that. A team that would expect to push for top four but actually then makes a massive leap. I think it's more like if Tottenham won the Premier League. It's Newcastle maybe under Kevin Keegan, isn't it? Because Leverkusen are not a tiny club like Leicester. Remember, Keegan's Newcastle had a big lead. Leverkusen have now got a big lead. If it's exactly like Keegan's Newcastle, they'll blow it, of course, unfortunately. Well, I think the interesting parallel there is that Keegan, obviously, they brought in Tino Aspria and that unbalanced things and they weren't quite the same team and things started falling apart. Not that that was Aspria's fault, but that's, you know, they made that change. In terms of Leverkusen, there's nothing now that will change the way they play. They've got lots of options in the toolbox. They can hit you with fast players. They can hit you with strong players. If you think of the attack, I mean, Adley's been playing there, but Patrick Schick can play there, a bit more of a statuesque and strong centre-forward. Boniface will be back in April. I think the only one I, I would worry about is if they lost Alex Grimaldo, because I think he's irreplaceable on that left-hand side. However, the really big test here, and I don't think it's happened yet, is when it really kicks in with this group of players that they can do it. They're massive favourites now. They've got an eight-point lead. That's never been overhauled at this stage of a Bundesliga season. But at what point does that group of players think, oh, no, we're actually favourites here? And that's a different type of pressure, I think. I think if you've got that lead and everybody expects you to then go on and do it, that's a different type of pressure. If they can get through that, they'll win it. It is... uh easier to hunt than be hunted I think which yeah. is uh, what those Leverkusen players will will feel all the way through to the end of this season well look plenty of questions that you raised there Kevin and Ben has as well which we need to throw to uh, Fabrizio Romano our transfer guru which is uh, just what we do now I uh, caught up with him a little bit earlier and asked him many uh, of those questions Fabrizio, thanks as ever for joining us. We're talking about Xabi Alonso and what his future might be. So do we just ask a simple question? Is he going to Bayern? Is he going to Liverpool? Good question. I think he doesn't know at the moment. <laughs> so imagine me. It's, it's too early to know where he's going. But I really think it's going to be a really important uh, month, I would say, because the discussion, the internal discussion that these, these, these two clubs have already started. The advantage for Bayern is that they already have a structure in place. So Max Eberl joined the club as new director to work together with Christopher Freund. So they already had clear ideas of what they want. People going to present the project to Xabi Alonso and to the other candidates they have in the list. For Liverpool, from what I'm hearing, the priority is to hire a new director as soon as possible. It will probably be in March and then to start the conversations with a new manager. But the interest from Liverpool is absolutely there. It's about the owners. It's about other people in the club. They still want Xabi Alonso as priority target. But both clubs, Liverpool and Bayern, have alternatives, have other candidates, because they know that it's going to be not an easy fight at all. And then, let me say that from what I'm hearing, also 
Xabi Alonso himself wants to take some time because he wants to focus on Bayer Leverkusen. They are doing something historical. He doesn't want any distraction. So he knows about this interest, obviously. But at the moment, he doesn't want to sign anything or to agree with any club in February, in March, because his focus remains on Bayer Leverkusen. And is there even a possibility that he could stay at Bayer Leverkusen for another year and then maybe pick up the Real Madrid job, which is going to be vacant in 2025? That's the hope of some people, some important people at Bayer Leverkusen. They really hope so. They still believe there is a chance for Xabi Alonso to stay at the club. But my opinion, speaking to some sources, is that it's going to be very difficult. So I think it's a very small percentage to see Xabi Alonso staying at Bayer Leverkusen in the summer. I suppose whether he stays or goes, as you're suggesting, will have an impact on how many players might leave Leverkusen. Let's talk of some of the names of the players who may be wanted whether whether he stays or not. What about Jonathan Tarr, Piero Hincapié or Grimaldo? All three or possibly those three being targeted by other clubs? Yeah, I think there is going to be crazy interest in Leverkusen players. So for sure, the ones you mentioned are doing fantastic. And so there is going to be an interest, especially Grimaldo. But I'm not sure it's going to be easy to negotiate for Grimaldo because he has a very long contract. So in this case... Probably Bayer Leverkusen feel protected, at least for one more season. In the case of Jonathan Tai, it's a short contract, so that's different. Uh, in this case, I think there could be some opportunity for Jonathan Tai, especially with Premier League clubs, keeping close eye on him. So I think Jonathan Tai could be one to watch in the summer transfer window. For Pierre Encapier, he's always been in the radar of many clubs around Europe. For example, Tottenham and Liverpool sent their scouts multiple times in the recent years, last two years, even before this magic season for Bayer Leverkusen, to follow Pierre Encapier, but they never made an official proposal to Bayer Leverkusen. So let's see who's going to present an official bid in the summer, but there is going to be interest for all these players, and that would also include Jeremy Frimpong because Jeremy Primpong is also doing fantastic, and he has a release close. This is the big difference. For Primpong, there is a release close around 40 million euros in the summer, and I think with these numbers, is something that is going to be really interesting to see, because Primpong is attractive for many clubs, especially in the Premier League. Okay, let's move on to Manchester United. There's real talk of a, a summer clear-out um, there. Is that likely at Old Trafford? Yeah, I think there will be some some sales, obviously, because of financial for play. So there is one case... in. May United going to the Champions League, obviously that would help a lot in terms of financial fair play, in terms of budget for the summer transfer window. But in case this is not going to happen, for May United it's going to be absolutely crucial to sell some players. Maybe it's not going to be about super big names, but some players have to leave the club. So I still believe that at the end of the season there is going to be an internal conversation involving also the new director on players like Mason Greenwood, players like Jadon Sancho. I think all these players, obviously, they will have an internal conversation. But in case May United will receive permanent transfer proposal, these players remain available so they can make some money from, from these names I, I mentioned. And there are going to be other players. So I think it's going to be a busy one for Manchester United. And I think they're going to be very busy also with the outgoings, yes. Uh, and would it be would Anthony be on that list of possible exits? Look, at the moment, from what I heard, it's not being communicated anything to the player or his agent. So I think it's still too early to mention Anthony as one of the players who is 100% going to leave the club in the summer. But I think Man United would be quite open. Uh, so in case they receive an important proposal, I think for Anthony there is still a chance to, to leave in the summer transfer window. We have to see what the player wants to do. Because, for example, in December, when some Brazilian club started dreaming of the possibility of signing Anthony on loan, maybe for six months, the player didn't want to discuss anything. He wanted to stay only at Manchester United. So let's see what kind of situation there will be in the summer. Now, Michael Elise, um, are United likely to move? And, and who else might be in the race for his services? 
Yeah, I think it's going to be a very big race with many big clubs. Uh, not only Manchester United. I think Man United could be there because they appreciate the player. It's about the scouting department and we have to wait for the new director to come in to decide what's the strategy, what's the budget, how much they want to invest in that position. We know that Man United would also be busy for a centre-back, probably a left-back from what I'm told, and then a centre-striker. So they have some positions to cover. So let's see how much of the budget they want to invest on a player like Michael Olise, who is in a different uh, position, but he's a player they like, for sure. So May United, I think, will be interested in, in Olise. Chelsea were already interested and close to signing him last summer. Then the deal collapsed because Crystal Palace were able to extend this contract. But there is still a release close for this summer transfer window. So I think it's going to be an interesting one for these two clubs. And let's see if someone else will move because maybe Arsenal can look for that kind of player. So I think it's still an open race. Nothing is decided yet. Well, it looks like uh, Arsenal are interested in for the likes of Pedro Neto. And in fact, uh, over the other side of North London, Spurs um, may be interested in, in Neto as well. Is there any truth in, in those rumours? Yeah, it's about following the player. For Arsenal, I'm sure they like the player because already two years ago, they included Pedro Neto in their shortlist. And Arsenal work like this. When they appreciate a player, they keep following him. Even if they were not able to make it happen two years ago, I'm sure they're still keeping close eye to, to Pedro Neto. And also Tottenham believe, someone at the club believes that they need a new winger in the summer. So Pedro Neto could be a fantastic solution, knows the league very well. So this could be an important factor. But also they believe that he could be a good player for the idea of football wanted by Andrzej Postecoglou. So I think these two clubs will be interested in Pedro Neto. And I would also keep close eye to Liverpool. Let's see who's going to be the manager. Let's see who's going to be the director, what kind of strategy they will have. But Pedro Neto is also being scouted by Liverpool in the recent months and years. So also on this one, Olise, Neto, I think this kind of players will be in the list of many clubs, especially in the Premier League. Now, we know um, Kylian Mbappe is heading off to Real Madrid next season. Um, and PSG have said they're looking to sign three or four players after his departure. Are any names sort of coming out of the woodwork that, that they might be buying? Yes, but at the same time, it's still early to say that these players will be the real top targets for, for Paris Saint-Germain. But for sure, from what I'm hearing, obviously, an offensive player, so probably a striker, a player like Victor Osimhen is appreciated, but he's in the list also of English clubs. So nothing is decided on this one. But Luis Campos, Paris Saint-Germain director, is the man who signed Victor Osimhen and also Rafa Leao when he was at Lille as a director. So these two players are appreciated for sure. But let's see if PSG will start concrete negotiation at the moment. Not yet. Then new midfielder. For example, last summer they wanted Bernardo Silva. He ended up extending his contract in Manchester City. But Bernardo remains a player appreciated by Paris Saint-Germain. But in this case, they have to decide internally whether they want to go for a young player or for a superstar like uh, like Bernardo Silva. And then a centre-back. They want to sign an important centre-back. In this case, I'm pretty sure that they will go for a young centre-back. The player they really like is Lenny Giroud at Lille. Uh, they believe he's a special talent. They believe he's going to be the future uh, of French football. And this is why I think Paris Saint-Germain will try to attack the situation again after they already tried in January. But Lille president Letang said no to, to PSG in January. In the summer, it's going to be different. OK, finally, Fabrizio, let's turn to the, the Carabao Cup final on uh, Sunday. Liverpool winning again. Uh, Chelsea on the wrong end of it all and some criticism as well. Big spending, still no trophy. But where does that leave Pochettino? Uh, he said he had a conversation with with the owners, with Ted Bowley and uh, Top Bowley, and and, and um, he they were comfortable. But where where is he really? Yeah, look, uh, obviously Chelsea want to to win trophies. Chelsea want to win games, and so obviously they can't be happy. All of them, the owners, the manager, but the position from Chelsea has always been the same. They want to complete the season 
with Mauricio Pochettino and then to assess the situation in the summer. So this remains a priority for Chelsea to discuss at the end of the season, not to discuss Mauricio Pochettino position now, but obviously the situation has to change. I think uh, FA Cup is going to be really important with Mauricio for Mauricio Pochettino in the, in the next months. And also uh, in the Premier League, they want to see the club and the team performing in a different, different level. So I think this month will be really important. The conversation will be in the summer. This remains the priority if nothing crazy happens in the next weeks. But the results and the performances in the final months are going to be very important for the future of Mauricio Pochettino because for sure, pressure is there. Fabrizio, as ever, thanks indeed for joining us. Thank you. Thank you as always. Well, that pressure starts, I suppose, tonight. They're at home to Leeds, who are flying in the championship. And uh, were they not to get through, that would be uh, pretty disastrous for Maurizio Pochettino and Chelsea season over. Um, Ben, look, uh, interesting what Fabrizio said there. I think you've got more news to add on the sort of Liverpool connection for Alonso as a possible replacement for Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, it's more around the sporting director. So, Number one, Liverpool won a sporting director. Then number two, Liverpool won a manager. And it would be interesting to see because of Bayern interest in Alonso if they feel a bit more pressured to move faster for Alonso. But the reality is Liverpool usually have a plan. It's discreet, it's structured, it's not influenced by outside factors. So what they want to do is get a sporting director and a leadership team in place first, then start reaching out to managers because naturally they will want whoever their sporting director is to input to that process. The sporting director is expected to be firmed up, maybe not starting or finalised, it depends if they're a free agent, but firmed up in early or mid-March. And my understanding is that FSG, the Liverpool owners, have got a conference taking place this week. And the fact that they've not reached out to candidates yet to any great degree tells you that in an ideal world, they would like Michael Edwards. And they approach Michael Edwards once, and he had a conversation with Mike Gordon and he didn't want to come back. But as I actually said at the time, it wouldn't surprise me if a second approach was made. And now it appears that that's going to be the case. Now, why does Edwards not want to come back to Liverpool? The answer is not necessarily Liverpool related. It's title related. He doesn't want to be, despite his links with different clubs, a sporting director. Michael Edwards wants to be a CEO of football, which is the title Chelsea offered him in 2022, but he was on a break. Michael Edwards wants broad control. In other words, he either wants to run a group or he wants to run an entire football department. And if possible, he wants skin in the game. So it'd be interesting to see what FSG do, because technically, if they throw the kitchen sink to try and get Edwards, they could theoretically offer him some kind of equity. So he becomes part of the ownership group, or maybe more likely he's a kind of CEO of football. So when we're thinking about this path to Alonso, first of all, we have to understand whether Edwards is going to join. If he does, there'll probably be a sporting director and Edwards above that person. And that's where I'm told and keep an eye on this one. If it's Edwards, it is highly likely to be Bournemouth's Richard Hughes. So Edwards, Hughes, Barry Hunter, Dave Fallows, then the search for a new manager. And this is why we have to be a little bit patient, potentially, despite noises out of Bayern and maybe the fact that Alonso will stay at Leverkusen and then consider Real Madrid in 2025. We need to be patient because Liverpool want to try and build their hierarchy and their leadership team first, then go out in the market to determine who their new manager is going to be. And of course, until they get these names in on their leadership team, 
it's impossible to say categorically what direction they'll go in because let's say it's Michael Edwards. Everyone assumes Alonso is the leading candidate, but how do we know that Edwards won't have another name in mind? So sporting director first, hierarchy leadership team alongside that, then the search for a new manager. And that's why I think, I don't know whether you agree, Kevin, or you've got anything to add on the buy-in side, maybe they're in a bit more urgency, but with Liverpool, I sense that they'll wait a little bit before trying for their new manager and Alonso, whereas maybe Bayern will feel that they have to try and hijack that and move a bit faster. Well, I think Bayern can move more quickly because uh, you've already mentioned him. Max Abel's been installed as... It's very confusing there, but he's effectively uh, the board the board member for sport. It's a very unwieldy title. But what he effectively is, is a kind of level about exactly what Ben's talking about with Michael Edwards. He's a level above a sporting director. So you've effectively got Christoph Freund, who has been the sporting director, who has had an input into transfers. And Abel has effectively gone in as his boss. Now, Abel was unveiled this week. And he talked a lot about development of young players, but also mixing that with world stars. And the the picture he painted was very much one that Xabi Alonso would fit into. So Bayern are kind of good to go in terms of their hierarchy now. There are a lot of voices <laughs> at the top of Bayern. That's always been the case. I feel like it always will be. Um, but there is structure and there is a kind of unity of purpose now at the top of Bayern. So they probably are in a position to at least, you know, start making those approaches. But Xabi Alonso is no fool. He knows that Bayern are heavily interested. He knows that Liverpool are heavily interested. But he also knows that if he allows himself to get distracted by that and Leverkusen falter, his chances of landing one of those big jobs you know, do deteriorate a little. You know, the, the job is not done. You know, there are still 11 games to go in the league season. They're only in the last 16 of the Europa League. They've still got a semi-final and a final to win in the Pokal. So work to do. So I think even if Liverpool are a bit behind in terms of getting their, you know, pieces in place in terms of the hierarchy, I think they've still got time because Xabi Alonso won't be in a rush to make a decision. It's worth pointing out that Late last year, I spoke to Fernando Caro, the CEO at Leverkusen, and on record, he said there's no clause that allows Leverkusen to give a green light to Alonso to join one of his former clubs, but no agreement is needed on paper because if he wants to leave, Leverkusen won't stand in Alonso's way. And as a result, it should be relatively smooth for any club at any point, because if Alonso wants the opportunity, then Leverkusen are not going to stand in his way. But my question off the back of Fabrizio, Kevin, is more around the club's approach to everything else. Because there's a danger naturally, even with Champions League football and a league title to defend. If Alonso goes, other players may decide they'd like to. And in the interview with Caro, so I can only repeat what he said on record, he said, we don't really want to lose more than one to maximum. And you look at the squad names that have been such a pivotal part of this season. Grimaldo, you mentioned. Jonathan Tarr, lots of interest in him. Hincape's not been playing as much, but he's always linked with various clubs. Frimpong, I think the feeling is, will end up joining a big club this summer. He might be the most likely, in my opinion, to exit. So my question to you, Kev, is if, and it is an if, Alonso goes, is the fear that there'll be a mass exodus of players? 
I don't think a mass exodus. I think Leverkusen are realistic, and you'll know that from the conversations that you've had with Fernando Caro and, and, and guys at the top of the club. This is what they do. They do very much like what Dortmund do, although to a kind of less showy extent, I guess. They develop young talent and they sell it on and they know where they are in that food chain. They understand that. I think with Alex Grimaldo, I think it was interesting what Fabrizio was saying in terms of his long contract, because I think, you know, he settled in very, very quickly, perhaps more quickly than anybody, and maybe even he expected. Frimpong's a really interesting one because, because of that release clause and because of his pace. I think people do probably think, oh, well, he's a, he's a shoo-in for the Premier League. The thing with Jeremy Frimpong is you've got to use him in the right way because he is a wing-back. He, he, he couldn't play. I don't believe he could play as a right-back in, a, in a, a genuine back four and have him as a, a kind of defensively-minded player. It's just not his game. I think there are defensive shortcomings. I think he's improved on those. But he he's very much somebody who's thriving in a system that gets the best out of him and under a coach that gets the best out of him. So I'd be interested to see what would happen if a club did take him in the Premier League and see how he would adapt to that. But I think a lot of the players that they've got, Jonathan Tarr, you know, he's a guy that's absolutely at the peak of his powers right now. And I think if he does move on, that makes a lot of sense. But he's had spells not that long ago where he wasn't playing particularly well. He was being criticised. So I think Leverkusen, while they expect to lose one or two, would be quite sanguine about it because I think they would feel they've got the scouting network, they've got the recruitment department to actually replace these guys. And I think it, I mean, you would presumably say the same, Kev, that that if Alonso stays, then other, the, some of those players are more likely to stay as well. Um, and I just wonder what your gut feeling is that w- it, we haven't really talked much about the option that that he does stay with Leverkusen. He does have Champions League football. He's at the stage of his career where, look, he's he's been in charge of a, an under-14 side, uh, a B team, and this is his first real gig. It's gone well, but there's plenty of time for him. And uh, you, there's a lot of pressure at the Bernabeu if he sticks around at Leverkusen for another year and then decides to go there. Even more pressure, perhaps, if this year he were suddenly to jump ship and go to Anfield. And there's always going to be that difficulty of having to succeed if he ends up in, in Munich. So it's a big choice for him that if he is as level-headed and as bright as as everyone suggests he is being as a manager that he will choose the right option and may indeed stay put and say, actually, I've got a bit more work to do. And these other opportunities were, are always going to come for me at, uh, at times. Yeah, it's a gamble either way, isn't it? Because if you gamble and say, right, I'll follow Jurgen Klopp at Anfield. Wow, good luck with that. So, <laughs> I mean, that is an extraordinarily difficult job because you're taking over a really good squad that's been revitalised under Klopp. They've done ever such a good job with the midfield. But it would there would be an element of tweaking things and trying to get them to play his football. I'm sure the players would be capable of that. But let's not forget, you know, you've still got Manchester City there who are, you know, the elite team in the division. So you're still battling away with them. So how realistic a proper title push is, I guess we'll see. I think what Jurgen Klopp's done at Liverpool to compete blow for blow with City is beyond belief, to be honest. It's really quite extraordinary. So that's a really difficult job. Bayern... Thomas Muller talked about this in the last few days. 
it is an environment where if things start to go wrong, patience is in short supply. So there is a possibility that for all the respect that Bayern have for him, for all the patience that Max Abel might show, if they, for whatever reason, have another season when they're well below expectations, you know, is he going to be insulated from getting the boot? The other gamble is if he stays, how hot is he going to be if Leverkusen get distracted by the Champions League, end up finishing fifth? You know, players leave, players get injured. And suddenly, it, you know, you've won that Meisterschale, but then you've dropped off and people think, well, was it a flash in the pan and what have you? So it's very much about how much he backs himself and which gamble he's prepared to take. My gut feeling, and it is only a gut feeling right now, is that he probably does leave in the summer mm. because I'm not sure this is something you can replicate. I feel like it's one of those unusual football seasons where everything is clicked, everybody's on the same page, but it feels like one of those movies where everybody's been assembled at the right time and it's a one-time deal. Yeah, I, t I sense you're right that that now is the moment. Take it you, because to replicate it, you're absolutely right. It's going to be very, very difficult indeed. I mean, you can take a Leicester, you can take Newcastle, whatever, uh, as your analogy, but clearly they fell away the following um, season. Uh, ben, I mean, just throw it to you. How much do you feel that irrespective of the structure that's around at the moment, Liverpool want Alonso? Well, first of all, Leicester didn't fall away the following season. They got to the quarterfinals of a Champions League. So if the Leverkusen... But, but they weren't going to win the title again, were they? No, I mean, you make a fair point, though. They still were able to kind of challenge. I'm defensive because <laughs> I'm a Leicester fan, by the way, to everybody. But they were still able to challenge for Champions League football right until the final day of two seasons. But my point is more, do you want the fairy tale to continue? And are you happy with what you've got and what you're building? And if you win the league, do you buy yourself enough time, reputationally speaking, to pick and choose your next job? And ultimately, if this was only a situation where the jobs were not available at two of his former clubs, then I think that Alonso probably would do one more season at Leverkusen, see what happens at Real Madrid. He would then know that Klopp would not be around forever because Klopp ultimately is leaving a year earlier. But if Klopp had felt that he could continue, it probably would have only been one more season. So Alonso's thinking, I agree with Kevin, is probably defined a bit by the fact that these two specific jobs at two of his former clubs are by chance available in the summer. And if they were not, then he would not necessarily have any desire just to go anywhere to a so-called bigger club. He would stay at Leverkusen because he, if everything goes according to plan, would be defending a title and in the Champions League. But he's getting Champions League at Bayern. He's getting Champions League at Liverpool. He's getting Champions League if he waits and goes to Real Madrid. So I think that where he can go to this summer is probably just too tempting, in my opinion. But from Liverpool's point of view, to wrap and answer your question, I think we need to be very clear. Everyone is presuming that number one choice at Liverpool is Alonso, number one choice at Bayern is Alonso, number one choice at Real Madrid next summer might well be Alonso. I think that number one choice at Bayern is accurate. Perhaps number one choice to replace Ancelotti might be accurate if he was available in the market. I think leading candidate at Liverpool is correct, but they don't just go for a name and put all of their eggs in an Alonso basket. 
they look at three names as serious contenders and five to seven as possible contenders. And if they're surprised in the process or by what the metrics show rather than gut instinct, or if they get a new voice in like Michael Edwards, they will change their perspective. So when Alonso learned there was a Liverpool vacancy, my understanding is his surprise was genuine. This isn't some covert game of focusing on Leverkusen and then walking into Liverpool. He was as shocked as anyone that the vacancy was available, which tells you that he did not know it was a possibility until after Klopp revealed his news. So now he has to decide. And my gut instinct, Kev may disagree as a German football expert, but my gut instinct is that if he chooses to leave and it's a straight shootout between Liverpool and Bayern, he'll pick Liverpool. That's my gut instinct from speaking to sources, that he won't want to stay in Germany and go Leverkusen to Bayern, then have to face Leverkusen. Then maybe find that the Leverkusen legacy that he built ends up trumping him because that's a step backwards. So I think if he's going to move, he'll move countries. And that's why I think if Liverpool want Alonso, then they'll get Alonso. Yeah, I agree with that. I think if it is a straight choice, I think he probably does choose Liverpool um, for the reasons you've mentioned. It will probably feel less damaging to Leverkusen if he goes to Liverpool rather than <laughs> hops across to Bayern as so many um, you know, coaches and players have done in the past. Just very quickly, one player... We've talked about all these players. One player we haven't mentioned who I think is going to be really hot property after the Euros and should be anyway is Florian Vietz. And I think when you talk about whether Xabi Alonso would stay and whether he could replicate what he's doing this season, next season, if somebody was to take Florian Vietz away from Bayer Leverkusen in the summer, I think that actually is more of a blow than any of the other players we've mentioned. In summary then, Kev, if we can just get your thoughts, do Leverkusen go on and win the title and might they remain unbeaten? Uh, I think they do win the title. Yeah, I, I, I think they've got the wherewithal. I think they've got the consistency and the quality to do it. I don't think they'll finish the season unbeaten. I think somebody somewhere along the line will undo them. They've still got some big games to play, but hugely impressive so far. And I think they will win the league. And Ben, I won't ask you a football question. I'm managerial. Where does Xabi Alonso end up in... Where does he start next season? Liverpool, in my opinion, as I alluded to. But I honestly feel like number one possibility, Liverpool. Number two possibility stays at Leverkusen. And that will be billed as invested in the Leverkusen project. But I still can't get this idea of Real and post-Ancelotti, whose contract expires in 2025. And maybe if... Leverkusen are doing well, then Alonso can kind of have his cake and eat it. He can do one more year at Leverkusen, continue the fairy tale, and then go to Real Madrid. But I think the most likely possibility for me is Liverpool. I think the most unlikely possibility, maybe I'll come back and have to eat humble pie or humble bratwurst or whatever the German equivalent <laughs> is. But I feel like the least likely possibility is Bayern. The most likely possibility is Liverpool. And the stay for Leverkusen and stay for Real is kind of somewhere in the middle. We will see. We'll be discussing it probably in, in August, wherever he is, wherever he trots out in the uh, in whichever league it might be, whichever dugout we see him. Uh, ben, thank you um, from Doha. You back next week? back next week. I'll be taking my first class flight back, in fact, tonight. So I'll see you tomorrow. 
first class flight are you are you serious are you just trying to make me feel jealous <laughs> i'm genuinely not being serious i mean <laughs> cattle class or whatever we're allowed to call I, it these days exactly you're definitely turning right you've never turned left in your life <laughs> um brilliant ben thanks very much and kevin hatchard thank you too for your uh, contributions great to have you and uh, your experience and knowledge of the bundesliga you have been listening to the debrief We'll be back again next week. Fabrizio will join us once more. We'll see you then.